We're going to be talking about peace on earth. Jesus was born to bring peace. That's what the prophets stated in the Old Testament, and that's what the angels sang. And suddenly, there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Our university did a study a few years old now that down through human history since 3600 B.C., Almost 6,000 years of human history, there have been only 292 years of peace. During that period, there have been 14,531 wars, large and small, in which 3.6 billion people have been killed. Now, that's not peace. Of course, Jesus knew that was going to happen, and that's why God even reminded us, speaking of the future, but also really about all of human history, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24. See not that ye be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There should be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Now, we all know that when, as a Christian, when we die, we get to go to heaven. That's an amazing and incredible and encouraging fact. And in that moment, we will finally have peace, <laughs> peace that we've longed for. But if you're like I am this morning, uh, while I know there's peace in heaven, I'm glad that the Bible says there is also peace on earth. There is the availability of having peace while here on earth. And as a believer, I've got my future settled, but I'm glad that I, there's going to be peace on earth. And so for the next four weeks, the Lord willing, I'm going to share with you some of the greatest verses on perhaps my most favorite subject the subject of peace. Now, many a time my heart has been a troubled sea, and these verses have just spoken like Jesus did with his disciples, peace, be still. And so we're going to talk about peace on earth, peace in your life, peace in your family, peace in your soul. That's what God wants. Well, I had to laugh when I read about uh, a man who came out of church and was talking to his pastor about the peace of God. It was a very long and boring sermon. The church members filed out of church, not saying a whole lot to the pastor. The pastor, of course, was wanting some feedback. And towards the end of the people coming out, one very thoughtful person who often commented on the sermon said, Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God. The pastor was very excited, as you might imagine. Well, nobody's ever said that uh, to me, and I've never heard anything like that. That's just wonderful. Tell me why. 
Well, it reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding. And it reminded me of the love of God because it endured forever. <laughs> well, I hope that this message on the peace of God uh, is something that you can understand. Let's all bow our heads for to prayer. Father, we thank you for this truth. Thank you, Lord, for confirming this topic in my spirit. Lord, I can't think of something I'd rather preach on for the next few weeks than the peace of God. Bless us. Bring our minds together. Lord, send us all home with a renewed vigor in our spirit because of the peace of God on earth. In Christ's name, amen. In John 16, Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. As long as you're in this world, there's going to be wars and there's going to be conflicts. As long as there's sin in this world, there's going to be constant troubles and heartaches and stuff going on. But that's actually not the kind of peace that Jesus was referring to and promising he was not referring about a peace based on our circumstances, but in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the situation that we might be in, and in spite of our condition. The fact is, most people are not at peace. They're not at peace unless their circumstances are at peace. They're not at peace unless their life is at peace. They're not at peace unless they have the right kind of a job the right kind of a retirement package, or the right kind of a political party in their mind that's in power in the nation. And unless those things are true in many of our lives, we're just not at peace. Because for most people, their peace is determined by their circumstances. They don't have an inner peace. I uh, laughed this week as I read a little uh, joke that... Uh, from the Peanuts cartoon. Lucy was talking to Charlie Brown and she said, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown said, but I thought you had inner peace. Lucy, I do have inner peace, but I have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> and that's many of our problems, isn't it? I've got inner peace. I've just got outer issues. Just hours before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus had a powerful discussion with his disciples. He only has a few earthly hours to live, and he said, I want to talk to you about some things. And one of the topics is about how to have peace, how to go through this life and maintain your peace despite all the junk that you're going to face. I want you to have peace. And so let's go to John chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse 28. Let's get an understanding of what we're talking about. Would you read verse 28 together with me, please? Ready, begin. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Now, Christ comforts his disciples with two very important truths, theological truths. The first truth is, I came from the Father. I have been with you. I've been hanging out with you. We have ate together. We have worked together. You name it. 
You know that we have hung out here and we've done some good. But I'm just not like everybody else. I came from Father God. I am God in the flesh. Now, this is a game changer, brothers and sisters, for them to say, look at Jesus Christ and for him, for them to get that understanding that all this time they have been with God in the flesh. Now, that was absolutely blew away whatever the Jewish mindset of the day was that Jesus was, in fact, a rebel. Today, there are many religions who have different concepts about Jesus. Islam says that he was a prophet, but certainly not God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that he actually is Michael the archangel who became a man. The Mormons say that Jesus actually was the brother of Satan, Lucifer. And if you go up the street here to the progressive church, they say, well, he was in fact a great man, maybe one of the greatest that's ever lived. But he's not deity. He's not actually God. Jesus reassures his disciples, no matter what these say or these say, fix this in your mind. I have been with you. I am God in the flesh. The second thing that he says was not only that I came from the Father, but he said, I'm going back to the Father. When I'm done with this work of bringing peace to the world, of reconciling man and God and bringing them together so that they could be at peace. When I'm done with this, this whole thing that I'm doing, I'm going back to the Father. Nobody's taking my life. Nobody's ripping it from me. He said, I am completely, absolutely in charge. The Lord reigneth. Verse 29 and 30. Let's read it together. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. These fellows just, it dawned on them. This was a light moment. And they felt blessed to get some answers. Notice what they said, you speak plainly. Let me just reassure each of us here this morning, if there's something in the Bible we don't understand, it's not God's fault. God's always speaking plainly. The disciples said, you're speaking plainly now. I'm sure Jesus looked at them like, now I'm finally speaking? No, I've always been speaking plainly. You've just been hearing darkly. That's the issue. And that's the point he's trying to make here is that, you know, uh, this is a moment for you to get this in your spirit. But notice what they said in verse number 30. Now are we sure. Now are we sure. I am sure of this. That's a great moment, isn't it? How many of you are sure of the fact that Jesus Christ is God? Amen. I am sure of that. That never changes. I am sure of that. These folks got that assurance. It's a wonderful thing to get the assurance, isn't it? Now, we have eternal security, but we gain the assurance of our salvation. And that's something that happens along the line. We may have, the moment we got saved, we got eternal security. No one's ever going to change that. 
But that doesn't mean that we're going to have the assurance of our salvation. Sometimes we might even think we're because we did something real bad or even something small, but we just, that's it, I'm gone. I'm, I'm going to lose my salvation. And here they got the assurance of their salvation. Back in the day, you know, back in America's early days, they didn't really have uh, often birth certificates. They didn't always give them out. One such person who didn't have a birth certificate was humorist Will Rogers. Once he was applying for a passport, and the clerk asked him for his birth certificate. He said, I don't have one. She said, well, you have to have one in order for me to issue a passport. And he asked, well, why? Well, so I can have proof of your birth. And he answered, well, I'm here, ain't I? And you know, that's a wonderful moment when you get that assurance, isn't it, of your second birth. I'm here, ain't I? I've got Jesus in me. I know it. He's in there. How do you know it? Because he's in there. Verse 31 and verse 32. Let's read them together, please. Jesus answered them, do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. He was trying to get him thinking, you know, in um, pastoral theology, they talk about inductive Bible studies where uh, it's not just a lecture, but it's actually thinking through the passage together, you know, with somebody. He was trying to get him into sort of an inductive style thinking here, and he said, and he asked the question, do you now believe? Or why are you now just believing? Maybe it might be, we might understand it better. Why are you now just believing this? I've been with you for three years. You've seen me heal. You've watched me take people and see their lives transformed by the power and grace of God. And just now you're believing? Why not sooner? And then he warns them. He said, now gentlemen, I want you to know that Things are going to go south pretty soon. It's going to get real bad, real bad. And unfortunately, all of you, or at least for a temporary standpoint, you're going AWOL. Every one of you are going to leave me alone. But he said, I want you to know something. While you're going to leave me alone, and it's sad, it doesn't really change anything. Because God the Father is with me. And because God the Father is with me, I have peace. Everything's okay. You're going to leave me. You're going you're to run. Put your tail between your... And run. You're going to run off. And now in verse 33. And this is our text for today. Let's read it together if you would. Ready, begin. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. One of the greatest promises on peace in all of Scripture, and he reminds them, you're going to have peace in the midst of this crazy world. How that's going to happen, notice four facts about God's peace. First of all, the growth of that peace. The first part of 
Verse 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In me you have peace. Now he is giving us where our peace comes from. The peace comes from Christ. Only a believer can have peace. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah declared in Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. There was really no further definition there, but in Matthew chapter 1 it says in verse 23, They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was declaring he was going to step out of heaven's splendor and he was going to come and be on this earth. He was going to walk and talk with mankind. He was going to be there for them, with them, no matter what. And that's where our peace comes from. Our peace comes from the fact that we don't have to face this life alone. This morning when I woke up, I was not alone. I can't imagine what would happen to wake up in the morning and uh, face life without knowing that God was with me? I can't even imagine. I mean, what, I, what would there be to live for? I mean, to wake up and think, okay, boy, I'm, sure, I'm going to be excited. I'm going to have another donut today. Or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch football today. That's it? I mean, that's all? Oh, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get faster by running a mile. Really? Or, you know, we're going to watch the kids play soccer. I mean, that's it? That's that's it? That's, that's all? That's, that's what there is to life? Man, I, I can't, you know, people wonder about all this bad stuff going on and the crazy stuff. I'm going to tell you what, I'm surprised there's not more of it. Because when people don't have God, there's no hope. God is what gives us peace. One day a woman was praying and she asked God, who are you, God? And he responded to her, I am. She said, well, who is I am? I am love. I am peace. I am grace. I am joy. I am strength. I am safety. I am shelter. I am power. I'm the creator. I'm the comforter. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am peace to you. With tears in her eyes, she looked towards heaven and said, now I understand who you are. But who am I? And God tenderly wiped away her tears and whispered, you, <laughs> you are mine. And that's where we get our peace, when we have that understanding that I am God's. He is with me. I don't have to face this life alone. One person put it this way, peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Let me say that again. That's a good thing to write now. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is the presence of of God. The growth of peace comes when we realize God is with me. Where does peace come from? Jesus said, look, gentlemen, peace is in Christ. Why do you have peace? Because you're in Christ. These people all over the world, you know, you know, they, I, I see them on the back of the bumper stickers on the back of the cars about, you know, how do guns bring peace? You know, and it's usually on the back of some Volvo or something, you know, and uh, they're going down the roads, you know, 
You know, they're just happy with their little life, you know, that get rid of the guns and we'll have peace. And no, then you'll have this and the country be run over. That's what, it won't be peace at all. They think you're going to have peace by getting rid of guns or we're going to get peace by getting, uh, you know, someone in the White House. I'll tell you something. Peace never comes with any person in the White House. It comes when Jesus is in this house right here. That's where peace comes from. When you ask people, if you could choose anything you would like, the one thing, what would you want? When you go around the world and ask for people, what would you like? If you go to India today and say, what would you like for your family, for your life? What would you like? If you go to the, the deserts of the Sahara and ask some Bedouin, what would you like? If you go to the cold Baltic country and find someone there riding along on their bicycle, what would you want? Do you know no matter where you go in this world, no matter whether they are rich or poor, have a lot or nothing, the one thing that is universal that everybody wants is peace. They just want peace. I want peace in my marriage. I want peace in my home. I want peace with my children. I just want peace in our country. I want peace. We long for peace on our workplace. And so we, we try to educate peace, and we try to bring peace through, you know, a great education program or medical uh, program, and we try to bring peace into our country. And yet there's more broken marriages, there's more hatred, there's more rebellion in a country so unsettled. And people say, well, I'll have peace, and so they try to escape through um, sports or through perhaps drugs or alcohol or some relationship or constant entertainment. But the fact is, peace never comes from this world. That's what Jesus was trying to tell these folks. He's saying, gentlemen, there's going to be a lot of stuff you're going to face. I'm leaving. I mean, it's going to come down around you. It's going to come at you quick. And you're going to begin to wonder, man, when Jesus was here, it was okay, but how am you going to have peace? He said, you are not alone. You can have peace because peace is in me. It's in Christ. And because you're in Christ, that's where the growth of peace comes from. First of all, it comes with knowing Christ. Second of all, the grasping of that peace. God is certainly not, doesn't want them to be ignorant or somehow to stick their head in the sand. Look at the second part of verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Someone said, I got married and I've had trouble. Oh, really? Wow. In the world, you shall have tribulation. I had children and I have trouble. Really? Wow. How about that? In this world, you shall have tribulation. I got a job. I got this new job and I got troubles. Really? In this world, you shall have tribulation. Man, I moved to this new neighborhood, and I thought maybe everything would be all right, and, uh, but there's trouble in the neighborhood. Really? In this world, you shall have tribulation. It makes no difference, folks. It makes no difference if we're married, unmarried, children, no children, good job, bad job, good neighborhood, bad neighborhood. Folks, it doesn't make any difference. The Bible says, Jesus said, in this world, as long as you're in the world, there's going to be stuff going on. There's going to be all kinds of things. And he said, then you add to that the fact that you're going to go out and you're going to tell people that they're sinners. 
You're going to tell them that they are going to go to hell and that what they've been believing all this time is wrong. If you believe in uh, Muhammad to take you to heaven, you are wrong. If you're believing in Buddha to take you to heaven, you're wrong. If you're believing in just your good works to take you to heaven, you're wrong. I want you to go out and tell everybody they need to be saved. So first of all, not only is there just going to be trouble in the world, but I'm going to add to it because I want you to go out and I want you to be world changers. And he said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to suffer. He didn't try to pull wool over their eyes and tell them, man, if you do this, you're going to lose 100 pounds, guaranteed, you know. Oh, well, yeah. Or no, he said, look, I promise you, I'm telling you right up front, I don't want anybody questioning this, there's going to be tough times. Every Christian suffers persecution. Now, it may be overt, like some who have to suffer for their faith actually die at the point of a gun. It might be overt, or it might be more subtle. Missed opportunities at work, not asked to a party, your feelings get hurt. Maybe someone just makes your life miserable because they're on a power trip because they hate Christians. But whatever the case is, we're going to suffer. Christians suffer. So not only do we have tribulation in the world, but if you identify yourself as a Christian, whether through your lifestyle or through your words or both, you're going to suffer. And that's what John said. Here's the reason why. Because you're a good person. That's why you're going to suffer. John 3 and verse 19, this is the condemnation. This is what condemns the world. This is why they're condemned. Light came into the world. That's the gospel light. Men, meaning Christ. And men love darkness rather than Christ, their light. Because their deeds are evil. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest their deeds should be reproved. I don't mind Jesus. I just don't want to be convicted of my sin. That's basically what that verse is saying, is that people don't mind Jesus. They just don't want to be convicted. They don't want to be told they're wrong. And once you begin to tell people you are on your way to hell, you need Jesus Christ, you need to be saved, you're going to have tribulation. Is this even going to make it harder? We suffer persecution because you're good. If you live for Christ, whether in your lifestyle or words, you're going to suffer tribulation. A a female CNN journalist heard about a very old Jewish man. He'd been going to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to pray twice a day, every day, for years, over 60 years. And so she wanted to go see this man. She went to the Wailing Wall, and there he was. She watched him pray. And after about 45 minutes, when he turned to leave, she approached him for an interview. She said, I am Rebecca Smith from CNN. Sir, how long have you been coming to the wall and praying? For about 60 years, he said. 60 years. That's amazing. She said, what do you pray for? He said, I pray for peace. Peace between the Arabs and the Jews, peace in this world. She said, how do you feel after 60 years of praying for peace? He said, I pray like I I feel like I've been talking to a wall. That's what I feel like. And uh, 
You know, and that's what happens in this world when we're just simply talking to the wall. We think, you know what, there's not going to be any peace. But peace comes with Jesus Christ. It comes with Him and through Him. And that's where our peace comes from. But in this world, it's going to be trouble. I mean, you name it, God said, if you live for Christ, there's going to be trouble. Last year, we had a crazy thing happen. It was really not crazy. It, it just, but it always hits you in the face as just being, this is nuts. After this uh, beautiful jazz uh, concert we had, uh, world-renowned uh, concert pianist Jim Martinez, we advertised it to the community, a free Charlie Brown Christmas jazz concert, free, at the home church. It was a delightful evening, and during the evening, Pastor Luke gave the gospel at the request of Brother Jim, but also we would have done it anyway, but... Um, he gave the gospel a brief, uh, beautiful presentation. When it was all done, the next day I get an email. Dear Pastor, we uh, I'm glad to come to the jazz concert, but I can't believe that you had somebody talk about God and the Bible at a concert. Can't you even have something for people without talking about God and the Bible. I looked at that email and thought, okay, first of all, it's a free concert. You came to a free concert. We didn't charge you what they charge. Number two, it was at a church. <laughs> what? And you wanted to go to a church and not be convicted? Oh, my goodness. But you know what? That's the world's mindset. They don't mind God. They don't mind the church. Don't even mind a little bit of Jesus. But don't convict me. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said, the world doesn't like you because they like darkness. That's just simple as that. And you convict them. Your lifestyle, your words convict them. I'm telling you, you're going to have peace because of me, but you're going to have trouble in this world. Cassie was in the school library of the Columbine High School reading her Bible when two young killers burst in. One of the killers pointed a gun at Cassie and asked the question, do you believe in God? She said, yes, I believe in God. And she was shot dead. Cassie Burnell shot because her belief in God at the Columbine High School massacre. The interesting backstory on Cassie was that just two years earlier, she had been living a wicked life, evil life, but she gave her life to Christ. And just two days before she was killed, here was a note that she wrote and her brother found it in a room. I have given up everything. The only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power of God is to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be the one who lives in the fresh newness of life. Cassie Burnell, 17 years old, dedicating herself to serve God no matter the cost. You know, you can have peace, but that doesn't mean we're going to have peace in this world. It's peace in our soul, the growth of that peace, the grasping of that peace, and now the greatness of that peace. Let's look at the third part of verse 33. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. He wasn't saying, I want you to be more cheerful. He wasn't saying, 
Hey, make sure you imbibe of the cheers, you know, this holiday. He wasn't saying cheerio. No, he was saying in the midst of this world, if you will stay focused on God, he will give you a different perspective. You'll be encouraged. You'll be cheered up. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul says, is sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing all things. There is a different way of living. The Christian life is a paradox, full of junk, but full of joy. Jesus' words in John chapter 16 said, I want you to know something. Your future is okay. It's secure. Be of good cheer. Everything's okay. You may be tough right now, but the future is okay. You remember the old gospel song, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry over the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today, I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And that's where my peace comes from, that no matter what today brings, it's going to be all right. No matter what tomorrow is going to, it's going to be all right because he is my peace and he has got it all under control and God is there with me. I like the little story about the boy and his father. The father was planning a very nice trip for the boy and reminded him about the wonderful trip. He did not tell the little boy where they were going. Nevertheless, the little boy was so full of excitement and just thinking about what was going to happen in the next day. He didn't have much information to go on, but he knew that if dad was going to be with him, it was going to be all right. And that evening, putting his son to bed, he hugged his father's neck and said these words, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. And you know, that's I think what all of us should do. I don't know what dad's got planned for tomorrow, but Lord, I thank you for tomorrow. Because he's got it all under control. The greatness of that peace. God said, just cheer up. Be encouraged because even though you don't know what tomorrow holds, I will be with you. I'll be there the whole time. And then the fourth thing this morning, not only the growth of that peace, the grasping of that peace and the greatness of that peace, but the ground of that peace. Where does that come from? The last part of verse 33. Say it with me. I have overcome the world. Say it again. I have overcome the world. That's where our peace comes from. Jesus overcame the world. How has Jesus overcome the world? Well, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, it says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He refers to Genesis chapter 3, where the Bible said, that the seed of woman, Jesus, would break the serpent's head. Jesus would keep Satan down. Every person that gets saved is a sign that, Satan, that Jesus has got Satan under his foot. Because every person that gets saved is, that's exactly what, it's just a sign that what Genesis chapter 3 said is absolutely right. He has overcome the world. Every time a person prays the sinner's prayer, I have overcome the world. 
I have overcome the world. The world is being overcome by Jesus Christ, and it can be. The other day I was reading in Psalm chapter 8, and I noticed this verse, verse 3, when I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, did you create, did you catch that little part there? The work of thy fingers. When God created this world, he was just finger painting. He just swiped his finger and the Grand Canyon was made. He just painted the beautiful uh, mountains and they were done with the swipe of his finger. His, it was just finger painting. This beautiful, amazing, gorgeous world that we live in, which so many parts are so wonderful, is just a, just a finger painting by God. But notice another verse in Isaiah chapter 52. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm. And the eyes of all the nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Now, when God created this world, he was finger painting. But in Isaiah chapter 52, it's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God said that's when he made bare his mighty arm. Creation, just finger painting. As beautiful as it is, just finger painting. Salvation, the gospel, that's God's mighty arm. He sent forth His Son. He was born of a woman. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And so here, Jesus reminds them, He said, you can be of good cheer because God the Father is overcoming people through salvation. And that's how we get the victory. My victory is your victory. No matter what happens in the days ahead, the growth of that peace is going to be in your life. The grasping of that peace as you wrap your head around the fact that this world's going to be junk, but the greatness of that peace and the ground of that peace. One Christmas season, a school teacher was supervising the construction of a manger scene in the corner of her classroom. Her pupils were just delighted to set up the little model barn, cover the floor even with real straw, arrange little clay figures of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the wise men, the animals, all facing a little crib. There was one little boy who was holding a life-size doll of the baby Jesus. And he was just standing there, staring at this little model scene of the manger with a puzzled expression on his face. The teacher looked over, saw this little guy, and asked him, are you, is there some problem? Is something bothering you? Do you have a question? With his eyes still glued to the manger, seeing that little crib and holding that little doll in his hand, he said, what I'd like to know is where does Jesus fit in? Where does Jesus fit into this manger? And you know, that's exactly what I have to say about this holiday season coming up. More and more every year, I think as Christians, we get grieved because it seems like Jesus doesn't fit in anymore, does he? It seems like we've got everything else in the world, some of the most profane songs that you'd ever imagine, 
some of the most terrible concepts. They'll talk about peace on earth, but only peace really comes when Jesus is there, when he fits in. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed.